Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that every scripture is inspired and useful. Useful for teaching and for correction and for instruction and for comfort and for rebuke and for building up that the person committed to God may be fully mature. And that includes Nehemiah. And that includes a chapter that's just listing things people built. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and show us application points of your word to our situation. Give us wisdom and light for our path. We ask it, God, for your sake, that we would do your will, not our will, that we would get on your page, not ask you to get on our page, that we would surrender and come alive in your will. In Jesus' name. Then Eliashib the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. That's like a throwaway verse, right? No, no, they started. They started. Last time I said, the hardest part about running is actually putting on my shoes and going out the front door. The hardest part about running is is not the running. The running is hard. Trust me, the running is hard. But the fight that I have to fight before it's mind over matter is actually mind over mind. All the other things I could be doing instead of what I'm about to do. The willingness to pay the price I know I'm about to pay is the biggest hurdle. Starting is a big deal. Showing up, in other words. Just showing up. Did you know, like... There's certain jobs where if you just show up sober and dressed, you're already better than 80% of the, of the workforce. There's something incredibly powerful about showing up in life. But we don't, we don't often think that. Oftentimes we think, especially if we have perfectionistic tendencies, I'm either going to excel, I'm either going to win, I'm either going to stand out and get awards and be noticed, or I'm not playing at all. In life, in the kingdom, at work... In marriage and so many other things. It's not about perfection. It's not about excellence even. It's just about showing up and actually trying. Intention is everything. Did you know God is more interested in intention and attitude than he is in actions and words? And he cares about actions and words. But the right actions and words with the wrong motives can be sin. And the wrong action and words with the right intentions can actually be Received as though they were a good thing in God's economy. Because God is primarily interested in who we are becoming. And that means he is looking at the intention at the heart. So showing up with the right intention. One of these days I'm going to preach a little message called show up on time. And you go, but Tim, you're kind of consistently a few minutes late. Listen, we don't preach what we've attained. We preach the truth that we all need to be aiming at, all right? If I stopped preaching everything I'm not perfectly living, I'd be like selectively preaching like 12% of the Bible. That wouldn't help me get there. And (laughs) Getting a little defensive, aren't we, Tim? But one of these days I want to preach a message called Show Up on Time. And by on time... I'm not just talking about church, right? I'm talking about whatever it is you've been called to do every single day of your life. And by show up on time, I don't just mean physically get your body at a certain place by a certain time on the clock. To show up on time means to show up well slept and washed. It doesn't just mean physically getting your body here when the clock says it's time to start. 
It means you're well slept so that you're actually like mentally present here. You're well slept, you're groomed well, and you have the right gear for the task at hand so that you're not tripping over your flip-flops when you're trying to frame up a house or some nonsense. You have your tool belt, the right tools for the right job. So you show up, well slept, dressed for the job with your brain and your heart prepared for action. And you show up so that you are ready when the time begins. Which means, as Tom says, if you show up on time, you're late. To show up, didn't you say that? How, what time did you say you have to show up to be rally, really on time? I don't know. The other day you were dispensing wisdom and I was feeling spanked. Okay, he forgot, which is helpful for me. I'm glad you forgot. He's only human. Starting is a big deal. Just showing up is a big deal. The fact that they actually started is huge. Starting is hard. All the time I was in Costa Rica, I kept saying, man, I wish I knew Spanish. And the Holy Spirit, every time I said I wish I knew Spanish, the Holy Spirit said, that's not how you get Spanish. <laughs> so what did I do? I've been doing Spanish. I missed one day out of 70. I think today's day 70 in a row of doing Spanish, of learning Spanish. Tom said, I looked down at my scrawny little arms when we were at Ocean City, and I said, my arms have never been so small in my life. What the heck am I doing wrong? And he goes, do push-ups. So I started doing push-ups that, the next day, and I've been doing push-ups and stuff ever since. That's not how you get Spanish, right? How do you get Spanish? You have to show up every day. And, and the, the app tells me, you want to do five minutes? You want to do 10 minutes, you want to do 15 minutes, you want to do 20, 25 minutes. And then it tells you, you're going to get better results if you put in more. But you're going to get absolutely no results if you put in nothing. If you don't show up, you get nothing done. I'm telling you, this start, they, they actually started. Nehemiah brought the calling from God. He had counted the cost. He had faced the burden. He had owned a problem, even though it wasn't his fault. Remember that? He took it to the Lord. He took on the burden of the Lord for the problem. He squared his shoulders to it. And instead of pointing fingers, he said, I'm going to own the problem. I'm going to repent on behalf of the people. And now I'm going to form a plan. I'm going to do research in private. And when I actually know what the problem is and how I'm going to proceed, I'm going to go tell you what I just learned. I'm going to say, who wants to join me in owning this problem? And they said, you're right. Let's do it. Let's rebuild the wall. Let's remove the shame of our people. It might be inconvenient, but it's not impossible. And it's not even complicated. You know, the things in our life that, that are the most important are usually not complicated. Things are simpler we pre- than we pretend they are. When we are unwilling to pay a price to do what we know we need to do, then we make it complicated in our mind as a justification of our inaction. If you're like me. But you can go to a friend who actually loves you enough to offend you and... You know, they say don't give advice to people who haven't asked you for advice or if you're not obligated to give advice. That's good advice. <laughs> it's real good advice. Don't give advice to anyone who does, hasn't asked you or you're not obligated to give it. There's a lot more zipping it and praying, and I don't mean pray for so-and-so because they're such and such, and it's a real problem. We just want to love them. We don't need to worry about it too much, but we just need to pray about it. That's gossip. I'm talking about you shut up and pray. Okay, starting is a big deal. Here's some hacks to start, by the way. Reduce friction. 
Do you know they say that if your gym is further than six minutes from your house, you are significantly less likely to work out? So move to Seaford. No, I'm just... We live like, I counted, 45 seconds from the gym. I counted. I counted down the seconds from Pure Fitness. I went in there one time. I was like, I'm out of here. My Pure Fitness is in my house and outside in the woods. My point is, if you're four minutes from the gym, you're way more likely to work out than if you're seven minutes from the gym. These little things. If you don't put your running shoes by the, by, and your running shorts and your everything by in a pile at the b- bottom, at the foot of your bed in one spot, you're way less likely to work out. I can't find my shoes. I got to get up and walk across the house. I got to look for socks. I got to... Friction. The other thing is habits. A habit assumes that we know we have a certain amount of decision-making power per day. A limited resource called decision-making power. And if I have to make tons of decisions all the time, Our emotions cannot distinguish between little decisions and big decisions. Little decisions and big decisions are emotionally equivalent in terms of the amount of energy they steal. So if I'm like, when I first started as here as a pastor, I went out to eat after a long week of work. I went out to eat and the lady asked me what I wanted to drink and I freaked out and panicked. I don't know, whatever, just bring me something. Because I was so, had, had so much decision fatigue. I could no longer tell what was a major decision that if I picked the wrong thing had big negative consequences, and what was a small decision and who cares? I could no longer discern the difference between the two. But with habits where you intentionally shape your routine around your priorities, you no longer have to make a decision whether you're going to read your Bible today because it's your pattern. You always read the Bible first thing in the morning in this patch of room where there's sunlight and quiet. You get up early enough before you go to work so that the whole day... You're not running from one thing to the next, starting with, ah, ah, hit snooze three times, miss your shower, run out the door, start on the wrong foot, not finding your center, not balanced, not knowing who you are, not knowing why you are. No, get up earlier. Yeah, but Tim, I can't get up earlier. Yes, you can. You have to go to bed earlier, but I can't go to bed because I can't sleep because you didn't exercise. And don't be watching exciting things on your phone. You're not going to be able to sleep. Yeah, but now's more important than tomorrow. Now's real. You know? Sorry, Bunny. If you exercise and you have a routine for bedtime, a bedtime routine designed, designed by your priorities in advance, instead of winging life, just always winging it, because I'm I'm of the spirit. I'm under grace. I just wing it. Bro, Jesus was under grace, and he was of the spirit, and he was so disciplined, and he had habits and patterns. He did things the same way. Every time he ate a meal, you know what he did? He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He did it the same way so much that after his resurrection, that's how they recognized him. Habits, we we choose habits so that we don't have to decide. We don't have to have this process of, am I going to work out today? Am I going to read my Bible today? Am I going to wash dishes today? Am I going to fold laundry today? You just build little habits into your daily, daily routine so that you don't have to waste energy making decisions. You find your priorities, you know your why in life, and you hack it by creating a daily ritual, a daily routine, and then you just show up. You just show up and start. 
Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it, and they set up its doors, building the walls as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, second time the word dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. They, what, what do you mean dedicated? Do you dedicate things that are half done? When do you dedicate? Right. I wonder if part of the reason we're so uneasy is we don't finish things. How many projects are in the, I started it, got halfway through, didn't finish it? Have you noticed, maybe it's just me, the last 10% of a project takes the same amount of time as the first 90% of the project? The final details, the touch-ups, take as long as the bulk of the shaping does. And we go, ah, ah, and we just kind of leave it. But you can't dedicate to the Lord and to the use what you don't finish. So yes, we start, yes, we show up, but we have to keep showing up and keep working on the same thing a little bit every day till it's done and then dedicate it. And you go dedicate it to the Lord. Man, what kind of quality of work do you do if you dedicate it to the Lord? And Paul, throughout the whole New Testament, takes this kind of principle and says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people. Whether you eat or drink, whether you play soccer or do chemistry or work in a factory or build houses or sell cars or sell insurance or push products that you believe will enrich people's life and health, do everything in the name of Jesus to the glory of God. In the name of Jesus means both unto Jesus and it means as a representative of Jesus. So Paul takes this principle of dedicated to the Lord and he expands it to everything our hands touch. And you go, oh my word, that means we have to provide total perfection and excellence to everything you do. No, no. Now, this is not a piano. This is a wall. If you put the level of excellence and detail into a wall, you're wasting the Lord's time and resources. You can nod. The job you're doing, each job you're doing has different, I wrote this down, acceptable tolerances. If you're building a cabinet, a cupboard, or a piano, the acceptable tolerances are millimeters. Tiny. You want the surface to be sanded and stained and perfect. You're framing up a house. If you're doing that, you're making the house a poor value proposition for the client. Right, Rusty? Good enough. You don't want to waste the client's money and time overbuilding, wasting too much stuff, making it too... It just needs to be structurally sound and good enough. They're building up a wall. So just because it's for God doesn't mean it has to be perfect. It's a wall. It needs to be durable and strong. doesn't need to look amazing. Some of us really have to get over our perfectionism. We don't know how to start because we have to have it perfect. And the reason we don't finish is because, again, it has to be perfect. So we just leave things unfinished. But you know how you make something excellent? You edit something that's good. And you know how you make something that's good? You edit something that's crap. And you know how you make something that's crap? 
you show up and start every day. So how do you make something excellent? You make something that's crap every day. If I make something that's crap every day and you make something perfect once a year, the crap I make will be better than your perfect within a year. Can we nod to that? If I just show up every day and say my prayers poorly but sincerely every day and you once a year go to a revival service and really cry to the Lord, my daily board prayers are going to please the Lord more than your weeping. Because the amount of transformation that happened in my heart and the amount of relationship that I formed over the course of a year can't be bought in one day of weeping. The momentum, the transformation, the familiarity, the learning by showing up every day and doing crappy work with the right intention. It's going to take me miles further than aiming with intensity at perfection occasionally. Same thing for like big offerings in church. I'm not interested in your big offering. I'm interested in your tithing. I'm not interested in you being moved by the Spirit and giving a $3,000 gift in January. I'm interested in you giving $20 every, every Sunday or whatever it is that you can give every Sunday because it's more important to me for you to develop the discipline of entrusting a piece of everything you get to the Lord as a symbol and as a sign that everything you have is His, that's way more important to me than a big gift. In fact, actually, if you take someone who's financially smart, they'll tell you, and Tim, if you just put $10 in savings every month, when you start when you're six, what you'll have is way more than if you, in your 60s, go, oh, crap, we should have a retirement fund. How did we even talk, get to this? Dedicated to the Lord is how. Because some of us go, dedicated to the Lord, then it has to be perfect. No, no, it doesn't have to be perfect. Depends what we're doing, what the acceptable tolerances are. Good enough is usually good enough. I have a whole talk on that, but it's not today. Skipping down. The people from the town of Jericho worked next to this guy. And beyond them was Zachar, son of Imri. And the fish gate was built by the sons of Hashanah. And they laid the beams set its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Bolts and bars. That's fun. Imagine if you had doors, but they couldn't lock. You wasted all this time and energy building all these walls, and you installed all these doors, but they don't lock. Bolts and bars matter. Finishing matters. The finishing touches matter. If you got a file of unfinished stuff, don't add more stuff to it. Figure out if it should be on the list or not, and if it should be, finish it, and if it shouldn't be, delete it and throw it away. Throw it away. Deletion is winning. We can't, we can't handle more than like one priority, one main priority a day. You know, you know what the enemy of best is? You already know. Good. Good is the enemy of best. You get so many good priorities on your agenda for the day. Today I'm going to do this, and I'm going to take out the trash, I'm going to wash the dishes, and I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to call someone on the phone, and we're going to wash the car, and we're going to do that, and we're going to bounce the checkbook, and then we're going to deep clean, and we're going to wipe, and we're going to dust, and we're going to mop, and we're going to pick up everything on the shelf, and we're going to make sure it's wiped underneath it all there. Bro, all you got to do is seek Jesus, do the dishes and the laundry. That's it. And don't fold the laundry. It's a waste of time. <laughs> Those are hours of your life you can't get back. 
There are the socks in the sock thing. They're all black. This is my strategy, Bunny. I have black socks. I have white socks. They all go in the same drawer. No more folding. Waste of time. And if you're folding other people's laundry, slap those people. What are they? It's their own problem. Come on. If, if the dishes are done and the laundry is done, the whole house can go. <sighs> you don't need to be wiping the walls every third week. There's stuff in the priorities matter, guys. Most of us have things on our priority list that should be way down the list, and they're on the list crowding out the main things in life. Okay, let's get to the hard part. How are we doing on time? One minute left, good. We're into the second paragraph. We'll come back to this next week. Okay, they put in its bolts and bars. Verse 4, Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakaz, repaired the next section of wall, and beside him were Meshulam, son of Berechiah, and the grandson of Meshezebel. By the way, are you having fun with these weird names? Because I don't understand any of these names. And then Zadok, son of Bana. And next, verse 5, were the people of Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. And Nehemiah puts it in the Bible. Man... They refuse to, listen, this whole chapter is just a list of who built stuff. This is not skilled, like highly skilled labor. This is grunt work. And the grunt work of the building and the ground, so to speak, done by the ordinary people is so important to God that Nehemiah put it in sacred scripture so that the names and the specific tasks done are remembered forever. Stuff like sweeping these floors, stuff like patching the drywall, stuff like making the coffee, greeting, running sound, serving in the clothing connection, and washing all those clothes and putting all that stuff in a go to all the, the little things, the practical things we do with our bodies, the tangible daily work we do for the kingdom of God, for the big why. Just it's simple stuff. It's not like a calling from God. The prophet came into the house and said, I see a great calling from God. And I'm like, ah, who cares? We need somebody to mop the floor. We don't need somebody with the mantle of Elijah. I mean, we do, but we have that. But most likely the guy who has that will be like St. Stephen. Stephen had the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 6. He had the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he opened his mouth, no one could refute his wisdom. And you know what his job was in the church? It wasn't preach. He helped distribute the food to the widows. Like when our hearts are in the right place and we do the little things for God that matter, it's just little things. It's not, it doesn't require someone more gifted than us. It doesn't require us to go to seminary for eight years like I did. Blah. Well, seminary for four, college for eight, for four, four, more. And blah. God help me. That's not necessary for you. Don't do that kind of stuff unless God makes you like he made me. Just thank God that you are qualified to do the little things that the Bible actually says are the work of the saints. And, and, you, and he puts their names in this, in this chapter. Chapter 3 is just a whole bunch of names of people who did little things for God that they could do, and all it cost them was inconvenience and sweat. They took time off from their regular jobs to do for God and the church. 
Because it takes time off from whatever else we could be doing. And if no one takes time off from what they're doing to do for God and his church, then the yards don't get mowed. If y'all don't invite people, there's nobody here. I don't prepare messages, there's not really good messages. It's practical little things we can do that take work and sweat and showing up. And look what he does. He puts the name of the people who were, had a bad attitude in the book. These people refused to work. And so Nehemiah says, shame on you. I'm putting it in the book forever. Naughty. We had a work day and you said, no, because you had too much pride to work with so-and-so because you knew better than them. You couldn't get over your interpersonal issues. No, I'm not doing that. You're stubborn, and it's going in the book. Annie Lamott says, people get offended when I write things about my life because I painted, painted, put them in a bad light in my writing. And I say, well, if you wanted me to say nicer things about, me, about you, you should have behaved better. Yeah, but you shouldn't have said that. That was mean. Was it mean or was it accurate? Your behavior was dumb, and so now it's in the Bible forever. As an example of what not to do. And that's valid. <laughs> you know? Unhealthy shame is where you just like shame people to manipulate and control them. Healthy shame is actually a goad that spurs us on to do better. There is such a thing as healthy shame. When I do wrong and I realize it, I shouldn't feel good about it. That would be deeply stupid. I should go, ugh, I'm ashamed that I did that. And then I should change that and not be that person anymore. Watched a video the other day of a guy named Nardwar. You ever heard of him? He interviews musicians and he is very eccentric and he does such a deep dive. Every person he interviews, he, he does all the research. He says, if you think you know something, it will make you bad at this job. You have to assume you know nothing and do incredibly diligent research. Talk to their family and friends and coworkers and high school friends and childhood growing up friends and find out everything and anything and then make, bring them a personalized present that blows their mind. And that's what he does. I saw a video footage of him, being inter him interviewing several alternative bands from the 90s. I'm not going to name them. And the one guy took the gift he had bought them a vinyl record of someone they grew up loving. And instead of letting him present that to them, they just jumped ahead, were being rude to him, pulled it out of the paper bag and smashed it, twisted his arm, made fun of him. It was the drummer of the band. I'm not naming the band. And that drummer later said, oh my word, I was in so much drug addiction. And I sometimes watched that clip of that interview. So I never forget who I became. And I never treat people that way again. And then, of course, YouTube comments, they say things, oh, yeah, right, you're not sorry. The fact that you could treat anyone that way, you're only sorry it was on video and you got caught. And I'm like, oh, hi, Satan, nice to see you in the comments section. <laughs> the accuser of the brethren, nobody's allowed to repent. What kind of, like, we think our, like, honestly, it's a human thing that we think our righteousness consists in pointing out what's wrong. Bro, Anyone can do that. That's, that's not spiritual or helpful or morally superior. You're not morally superior for having values that you agree with and use to judge others. You're morally superior for demonstrating love in action. 
demonstrating love in action. And these people were like, actually, brother, he was sorry about that long before Nardwar ever became a public thing because his career was not known at the time of that interview. So that guy, that, that drummer, looks at that video to remind himself of the shame that has marked him and said, that's, I can never go back. That's called healthy shame, where he's separating himself from who that was. I wish he wouldn't watch it every year, but I understand why he does. He's distrustful of himself. I get it. You got goldsmiths. You got perfumers in the this, in this rest of this par- paragraph. Let's think about that. Goldsmiths and perfumers. Look at the hands of a, of a perfumer, and you go, he ain't got no calluses. What's he doing working on a wall? It needed to be done. What about the goldsmith? He's just out there sweating and carrying rubble. Why? This is God's work. You think this is beneath me? Are you kidding me? I don't care what your job is in the real world. Greeting people and making coffee in the house of the Lord is an upgrade. It's an upgrade. One day I tried to quit this job. You know this story? I'm sitting in the office and I'm moaning and groaning and... Dennis calls me, hey, I have an idea. This building is sitting empty too many days a week, and we could do this, and we could do a daycare and all that. What do you think about my idea? And I said, uh, it's fine. And he goes, what's wrong with you? I'm done. What? I'm done. I gave it all I got. Can't do it anymore. Didn't work. It's over. I'm done. Finished. (laughs) What are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? Why are you laughing at my pain? Dennis says, you're not finished. I just told you I am, and I'm pretty sure I would know that, not you. And he goes, all right, here's the deal. How about this? If Jesus tells you you're done, then you're done. Fine. I'll go get a, I'll go get a release slip, a pink slip, you know. Please excuse Tim from pastoral ministry. He's not feeling too good today. He got an ouchie. Thank you. Signed, Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, one of them slips that you get for school. Yeah, nice. Get a little slip. So I come up here. I don't know how it happens, but I'm praying at the altar in front of the cross. And uh, next thing you know, I'm like seeing where I was when he found me. Where I was when Jesus found me. Who I was when Jesus found me. How far I was, the person I was, the priorities of my life, the relationships that I'd hurt, the things I had done and become. And I'm going, oh my word. Oh my word. And I'm just, my mind is blown that he's loved me the way he's loved me. And he didn't just embrace me in his father's love and and then bring me in. And then in my mind, I'm like, I shouldn't be sitting behind that glass on Sundays. You know what I mean? Like if I'm getting what I deserve, I don't even deserve to be in the the place sitting behind glass just trying to come near. And he, he set me like a priest ministering at the altar of the Lord. And so suddenly it's the story switched from poor me, I should quit to I can't. I can't believe the majesty and generosity of Jesus. And then I see Jesus. He's standing right in front of me. And, he's, and I'm standing here. He's standing here. And he's got something in his hands. And it must be made of light because it's shining light up all over his face. And he's holding it like it's so precious, like it's so fragile and like it's so important. And then he reaches out. And I know I'm supposed to take it. So I reach my hands out. 
And he puts it in my hands, and it's like a little globe, like a little world. And it's made of light. And then he pulls his hands back so tenderly, and he locks eyes with me, and he says, feed my sheep. What's my point? Jewelers and goldsmiths and perfumers doing these little things, getting down in the dirt to build a wall. It's not a downgrade. It's not beneath them. It's sacred. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's shocking that he entrusts his work to you. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. Why don't you go ahead and stand? Prayer team can come on up. Are there any words of knowledge today, guys? So uh, anybody that um, needs prayer for family restoration, that came to me today. So Family restoration. Good. Yeah, so anyone that is struggling with um, heart wounds, guys just been really like talking to me a lot about that in my own life. Um, and what I know is that when you are wounded, when you're hurting, it creates blind spots. So it's hard to see people, situations, the way that God wants us to if we're carrying these these wounds, regardless of how they came about. It could might not have been anything that was our fault or your fault, but regardless, we've ended up with these wounds and they're, it just skews your judgment on people and situations. So if that's you, I'd love to be able to pray for you. Encouragement. You had a face. I had a what? A face? All right, let's pray. Ah, repeat after me. God, you love me. God, I belong to you. I dedicate my life to you. I want to know you. And just like, okay, now I'm, now I'm talking again. No, don't repeat after me. And just God, like when I said, I want, to, I want to learn. I wish I had Spanish. And you said, that's not how we get Spanish. I feel like you're saying, I want to know you is not how we know God. Just saying, I want to know you is not how we do it. We have to go through the simple steps of the habits and the training and the practices of talking to God daily and opening the Bible and reading it daily and unloading our heart daily. So in Jesus' name, when we say we offer our life to you, we mean we will arrange our day around learning from you, Jesus. It won't be the question of do I believe in Jesus. It will be the obvious answer that I am clearly and undeniably a student of Jesus, being trained by you, Jesus. Train us, Lord. Train us. Teach us. Speak to us. Breathe on us. Instruct us. Correct us. We unpack our heart and our life and our priorities to you, and we hear from you what you have to say back to us, and then we arrange our life around your answers. What you whisper in our ear, let it find space in our heart. What you whisper in our ear, let it find space in our heart and let us hold on to it and let it grow and develop in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen, amen.